You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. We've been learning and applying the core values of our church since January. And I, I want to say this, I've had a blast this year. Just focusing on these things and going to the next level together. The 11 core values of our church spell out the acrostic Gospelite. G-O-S-P-E-L-L-I-G-H-T. We've covered seven of those already. In January, we said this, that God is number one in our lives. In February, we said that opportunity to grow is always before us. In March, we focused on serving with excellence being our focus. In April, we said this, people matter more than projects. In May, we said that evangelism is our focus in every possible way. In June, our core value was laughter is our key to ministry. In July, we said this. No, wait, did I miss one? Oh, love is our reason for sacrifice. And laughter is, our, is the key to ministry. Sorry about that. Missed that first one. I've memorized them. Today, we come to our eighth core value. In the month of August, we're going to focus on the letter I. And here it is. Involvement by all is our aim. This is a core value at Gospel Light. Our sermon series so far has been on the pursuit of happiness. It's an eight-week sermon series on the Beatitudes of Jesus. And if you think about it so far, we've gone through four of of the eight, five today. And the four Beatitudes are about making sure that we have the right attitude with God, who is the source of happiness, so that we can serve with happiness. Just to illustrate, Beatitude number one says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That Beatitude speaks about having the right attitude, humility. Beatitude number two, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This attitude focused on how we should handle life's problems but do it with joy. The third beatitude says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We learn here that we should humbly serve with happiness. Beatitude number four speaks of those who should hunger and thirst after righteousness, and in doing so, they will be satisfied. Speaks of hungering for God and finding joy. Well, as we serve God at the next level this morning, as we look at this next level statement, serving God at the next level, as we discover that we are to be spiritual contributors and not just spiritual consumers, as we're convinced that next level living walks humbly but serves gratefully, we now come to the fifth principle. And the fifth principle is the fifth beatitude in the beatitudes of Jesus and in the pursuit of happiness. And the fifth principle is found in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. And it says this, blessed, happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I I love how Eugene uh, Peterson paraphrases this particular beatitude. Look at this. You are blessed when you care. And you really have to focus on this statement. At the moment of being care. Full, 
you find yourselves cared for. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Someone said that mercy is the first external evidence the world can observe that proves that God is at work in your life. So let's talk briefly as we get started this morning with the next four Sundays on this core value. What kind of connection are we going to make with this beatitude and the next three beatitudes when it comes to this idea of involvement by all is our aim? Well, first of all, we believe that everyone has a part to play in God's work. Everyone in this room has a part to play in the work of God. We value involvement by our people. We valued it this week. Josh mentioned about the number of people that took off work, volunteered, others that just came from their positions here on staff at church and traveled all the way to St. Louis and spent a week in the trenches seeing God do incredible work among spiritual warfare with our young people. And we saw a lot of surrender and a lot of uh, bountiful, you know, blessings through all of it. But it was, it was, it took a lot of help. I value that. I value uh, a phone call I got yesterday from a deacon who said, hey, preacher, if you show me where the lawnmower is and where the weed eater is, I'll take care of all the lawns this weekend. And aren't they beautiful? I value involvement. We value participation. We love to see people become servants. Every saint is a servant, and every member is a minister. In fact, we find in the Bible that the words serve and minister are the same. We all minister in different ways, but only, or rather any time, that you help somebody else in Jesus' name, that's called ministry. For instance, when Hudson was on that elevator, For that 30 seconds, he could have stood there and just said, you know what, I'm just in this elevator with this old dude. I guess that could have been me, right? Or he could say, I've got an opportunity to minister. And maybe he's just finding out this morning that he did. But standing in that elevator, having a conversation with a man that ends with, God bless you, sir, in Jesus' name is ministry. There's different kinds of service. There's different kinds of ministries. We're all involved in different aspects of ministry. We've all been given different gifts by God to serve and minister with. But I propose to you this morning that there is one ministry that we all have in common. Every single one of us in this room have this in common. And it's my prayer that I can show you and convince you of this this morning. We all have the ministry of mercy. Every one of us. God wants you to be a ministry, a, a minister of mercy in the world. God wants you to be an agent of mercy in the world. God wants you to be a supplier of mercy in the world. God wants you and I to be ministers of mercy. That's what the fifth beatitude is all about. Now, what we've been doing each week is kind of taking a little glimpse at the Roman side of things, the Roman world, what it would have been like, how this would have been received. The Roman world did not know the meaning of mercy. In fact, we're going to look at some passages where Jesus himself said, you don't get it, do you? You need to learn this. They surely didn't know it. Roman philosophers said this about mercy. It's a disease of the soul. Mercy was a sign of weakness to the Romans. The Romans would have glorified power 
and strength and justice and courage. To show mercy was not a sign of power, not a sign of control. The Romans wanted to conquer the world. How do you conquer the world showing mercy? If a Roman citizen didn't want his slave anymore, he could just take a knife, kill his slave, and bury it. And that would have been okay. No mercy. And then Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus shows up, and he's the most merciful person that's ever lived on the planet. Jesus begins to reach out to the sick and heal them. We sang this morning, you touch the leper now. Then, I feel your touch right now. You are the same God. He did touch lepers. They were unclean. The Romans would have looked at that and said, there's no way. That's disgusting. They don't deserve mercy. They deserve death. Let them die, they would have said. And yet Jesus shows up, and he's touching lepers and healing them. He's touching blind eyes and giving them sight. He's touching those who have deaf ears and they're hearing. He actually is finding prostitutes. That's right. I, I said it right. Prostitutes and tax collectors. And Jesus is bringing them into his inner circle. And he's caring for them and loving them and redeeming them. He showed mercy. He picked up those who were sorrowing and he wept with them. Jesus would find little children. He'd pick them up into his arms and he'd hold them close and he would love them and he would care for them. And then as he he was holding them, he would warn others, don't ever take advantage of a child. He showed mercy. Jesus was the most merciful human being to ever live. And yet they crucified him on a cross. He suffered under a merciless system. So what does the Lord mean when he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We're not talking about something that is human here. Yes, the first part of the verse, the first phrase, Blessed are the merciful, is referring to to you and I. But the second phrase is a divine person. It's a divine mercy we're talking about here. You be merciful to others. Blessed are those who are merciful, and they shall receive mercy. You be merciful to others, and God will be merciful to you. God is the subject of the second phrase. God wants to give us mercy not only now, but in the future. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 says, Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, don't miss this, that we may receive mercy. We need it. We'll find grace to help in time of need. God shows mercy to the merciful. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes will obtain mercy mercy. So this morning, I want to kind of go along the same trajectory that I've been going for the past four Beatitudes, and that is we're going to first just decide, 
let's discover what it means. What does it mean to be merciful? What, what does that look like? And then let's look at how can it become active and, I mean, uh, 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 how can it become motivating in our lives in such a way that we would then become active. And I always, in every message I preach, just so you'll know in advance, I always try to give practical ways to live it out. Because this is what we're doing here this morning is we're, we're looking at truth, but then we want to walk out of this building and, and begin to show mercy to others. So the first point I have for you this morning along the lines of just defining it is this. Let's assess the meaning of mercy. What does it mean to be merciful? To be merciful means to have mercy on. To be merciful means to care for the afflicted. It's an old song that I used to really enjoy in the old hymn books. Rescue the perishing. That's, that's to show mercy. Care for the dying. Snatch them in pity, the old song says, from sin and the grave. Weep or the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus. The most merciful thing you can do is that. Tell them of Jesus. The mighty to save. Mercy is rescuing the perishing. Mercy is shown by Jesus in salvation and in forgiveness. We see it in Titus chapter 3, in verse number 5, it says, He saved us. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Pay close attention to the next phrase. This is how He saved us. It began with His mercy. But according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, friends, mercy was behind forgiveness. Forgiveness is the fruit of mercy. When God looks at us, it was in mercy he saved us. We didn't deserve his forgiveness. He showed us mercy. Grace is a gift we don't deserve. But mercy is not getting the punishment that we do deserve. Mercy is an attribute of God that leads to forgiveness. And then we see that mercy is seen when we show sympathy and compassion like our Lord has done for us. In Psalm 145, in verse 8 and 9, it says this about our Lord. He was gracious. He is gracious. He is merciful. Here's what that looks like. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He's compassionate. He's sympathetic. The Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. Mercy refers to the ability to literally get into someone's skin until you think their thoughts and feel their pain. This is what we did at Teen Revolution. This is what you've got to do to help people. When you're in a group of a couple of hundred teenagers and and in the midst of of teenagers that have gone through abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse, emotional abuse, teenagers dealing with divorce in their homes, teenagers dealing with the temptations we see in our world today, gender identity and all of this stuff, let me tell you something, church. You've got to get in their skin. You've got to figure this thing out with them. It's more than just a passing wave of pity. Oh, really? Too bad. I really feel bad for you. Hope it all works out. It's way more than that. In fact, it's a deliberate act of feeling their suffering and seeking to relieve it. 
And that's what Jesus did. That's what God sent his only son into the world. Jesus put on skin. He became a man. And in doing so, when he left heaven, the moment he came, he became merciful. In fact, we read in Hebrews 2, 17 and 18, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Why? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. When Jesus suffered all the things that we suffer he did it without sin hallelujah but he did it he did suffer everything that we would suffer and in doing that he fulfilled the requirement of the high priest to be merciful mercy is god's sympathy toward the suffering Mercy is God's sympathy toward the outcast. Mercy is God's sympathy toward the downtrodden. Mercy is God's sympathy towards the miserable. Mercy. David pleaded for mercy. We read in 2 Samuel 24, 14, that he said this to Gad. Gad, dude, I'm in great distress. Here's what I'm thinking. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But let me not fall into the hands of man. I want you to think about that for just a minute. If you've ever fallen under the judgment of man, you know exactly what David is talking about. Christians are so much less merciful than God. Where there is compassion, there is mercy. We read in Lamentations chapter number three, it says this, the steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. Guess guess what about his mercies? They never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I love that. God is a God of fresh starts. How many of you have ever needed a fresh start? Can I see your hand? Unashamed, I've needed a fresh start. Oh, thankfully today, we can have a fresh start with God. And again, I love this paraphrase by Eugene Peterson in Psalm chapter number 32, verse 1. He says, count yourself lucky. How happy you must be. You get a fresh start. That's mercy. Your slate's wiped clean. Hallelujah. Man, that's good. Your slate has been wiped clean. That, my friends, is mercy. To be merciful means to be forgiving. To be merciful means to be sympathetic. To be merciful means to be compassionate. So I have two questions for you as we move on to point two. How is your level of mercy giving? And my second question is this. How is your level of mercy receiving? No wonder the psalmist said in Psalm 89 verse 1 and 2. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With thy mouth, with my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. So now that we've established what mercy means. We've assessed the meaning of mercy. Secondly, 
Let's do this. Let's allow mercy to be the motivation in our lives. Can mercy actually be the motivation? You know, in in many ways, we're we're singing about that. The the songs that we sing about the mercy of God always seem to to motivate us. They, They motivate me. So why in the world should you and I be merciful? Well, Paul describes a huge list of God's mercies and the need for God's mercy in the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 11. In fact, I just took some time this morning as I was thinking about sharing with you one verse in the book of Romans this morning, beginning in chapter 12, verse 1. I said, you know what? This statement, you know, and you don't have to show it yet. Don't show it yet. You can keep it uh, off the screen for a moment. Because that statement is an, a transitional statement. I appeal I appeal to you, therefore, based on these last 11 chapters, I appeal to you. In Romans, in chapter number 1, we read this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Can I say this? These these scriptures won't be on the screen because I just did this this morning. But I'm thinking, good night, we're in trouble. How many of you understand that there was no hope without Jesus Christ? Without his mercy, we're doomed for a devil's hell. There's no hope for us unless the mercies of God. Romans 2 verse 1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges from passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Romans chapter 3 verse number 9 or 10, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. That's us. Romans 3, 23, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter number 5 verse 12, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, so death passed upon all men for all, be, for all have sinned. I mean, on and on it goes here in the book of Romans that there is a need. We are in trouble without the mercies of God. And then he says in Romans 12, in verse number 1, I appeal to you, therefore. I forgot about the voice thing. I'm so sorry. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Brothers, sisters, I beg you, oh, listen to me, please, he says, please. I've just written 11 chapters. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God's mercy to me becomes my motivation. We are to express mercy because God has shown us mercy. And not just a little bit. Think of Ephesians 2, 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love for which he loved us, And if you want to summarize what life's all about, here's what God says is required of you and it's required of me. It's just three things that's found in Micah in chapter number 6 and verse 8. It says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee. Thus the title of my message, What Does Mercy Require of Me? Here it is. But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with my God. There it is on the screen. One-third of the requirement for me on this planet is to learn and to love mercy. Why? Because God is merciful. Here's the point. God wants me 
And God wants you to act in the same way to other people that he has acted towards us. And how has Christ acted towards us? In mercy. God wants me to pass on to other people the same mercy that's been shown to me. That's why God requires you to love mercy. What does mercy require of me? God says that being merciful is so important. In fact, it's more important than worship. In Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6, and my job is to convince you that this might just be one of the most important verses in all the Bible. In fact, Jesus quoted this verse two times when debating the Pharisees. He said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. This is such an important verse. What is he saying here? He is saying, I I don't want your acts of worship. I I want you to be merciful. God is saying here, I prefer a flexible heart over an inflexible ritual. And, And we all know about rituals, right? I mean, traditions of men, laws, things that are passed down denominationally sometimes. God is saying here, I don't care what you sing. If you sing, I love you, Lord, and I I praise you, Lord, and, and you don't treat people with mercy, you've missed the whole point. When we understand the difference between sacrifice and mercy, it'll help us to love people more. Sacrifice, yes, is intentionally moving toward purity. And there's a part of me that can appreciate some of the heritage that I, I had that, that only focused on this. I understand offering up something that's holding you back. This is when we say, you know what, I'm going to quit this. I'm going to stop this. And what that does is that seems to equal when we quit something and when we stop something, it seems to equal a sacrifice in order to stay pure. And I get it. But mercy That's embracing and intentionally moving towards what and who is different, unpopular, unclean. Hosea 6, 6 is so important that Jesus quotes it twice, beginning in Matthew chapter 9, verse 11. By the way, let me just add this statement. Mercy equals loving people. I want you to see that in these two texts. Mercy equals loving. When you get this, it will it'll change the way that you love people. It'll make all the difference in the world how you deal with your children, how you deal with church members, how you deal with people you work with. When you understand mercy, your ability to love people changes. Look here in Matthew 9. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? What's up with your teacher? He seems to be hanging out with like, you know, sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors. What's up with that? Jesus hears it and says, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick. I'll tell you what, guys. 
Go and learn this. I desire mercy, Hosea 6, 6, more, or and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Here are the Pharisees attacking Jesus for hanging out with the wrong crowd. What is your teacher doing hanging out with the wrong crowd? And Jesus responds, you know what your problem is? You don't understand the true nature of mercy. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Because mercy includes building bridges of love to the unpopular. That's what mercy does. If you truly live a life of mercy, the moral and political legalists are going to criticize you. Believe me, I know what this is about. Jesus wasn't afraid of guilt by association because of two reasons. Jesus knew who he was, and he knew he did not need the approval of the Pharisees. And secondly, he knew his mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. How often have I failed at this? Sadly, there have been times in my life in ministry where religion was more important than relationships. I confess to you there have been times in my life where I couldn't overlook the rules and the regulations and the policies and the procedures. I couldn't see the people. I was blinded by all of these things that I had been told were, were, were hills to die on. Silly things in many cases. In other cases, just preferences. In very few cases, it was, it was doctrine. And so we're learning something here about mercy together. I'm in, I'm in this with you. I'm a student with you. Notice again the second time that the New Testament quotes Hosea 6, 6, and Jesus himself says it. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 2, but when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He says, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God, ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who are with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law that how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I want you to take just a moment. It's kind of a light moment, and maybe we need a light moment right now. Could I extract a two-minute video from The Chosen on this exact reference in Matthew? Check it out. It's really cute. Can I get it? What a beautiful picture of that. And it's, it's cute, but it illustrates something powerful about that statement that, that Jesus quoted twice in debating these Pharisees, which I see myself sometimes as one. And I can see Jesus getting up in my grill, which, by the way, I need it sometimes. Can I get an amen? Friends are willing to get up in your grill and tell you the truth. 
And Jesus today comes to each of us and he says, put people over policies. Jesus would put people's needs over procedures. Jesus would put relationships over rules and over regulations. And they did not understand the meaning of mercy. The greatest question you can ask yourself this morning is this. What does mercy require of me? So can I tell you what it requires of you? Let me give you some how to act with mercy and minister to others. There's so many ways to do this, but I'm just going to give you five. Five ways to act with mercy so you can minister to others. Now, mercy can be expressed in so many different ways. Trust me, these are just five. There's probably so many more. And if you learn how to be an agent of mercy, it's going to change your work relationships. It's going to change your relationship with your spouse. It's going to change the relationship you have with your kids. It's going to change the relationship you have with friendships. And it's going to change even the relationships you have in church. Number one, be patient with people's habits. Be patient with people's habits. Now, my wife is loving this right now. Because my wife knows. We, by the way, today is our 35th anniversary. <clears throat> Been married for 35 years today. So, I love you, honey. Celebrate later. But she's an incredible lady. But even after 35 years of marriage, honey, this one's for us. Be patient. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection, if there's any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than himself. Could, could I recommend you to be patient with people's idiosyncrasies? Be patient with people's peculiarities, their mannerisms, their odd behavior, their irritating habits. I had to do that all week with the teenagers. You show mercy when you don't get irritated, when you don't get angry, when you don't get uptight with people's personal differences and unique quirks. Honey, you can say amen. Thank you. We've all got them. I've got them. I mean, I've got quirks. I'm a weirdo. I've got things I do that probably have, for 35 years have driven my wife crazy. But I'm grateful today that we're able to just have a little bit of compassion on one another and be patient with our habits. The number one place you need to show mercy is at... Nobody knows? Home. Home. With your wife, your children. So how do I get more patience? I mean, if i got to show more patience with my wife and kids, how do I do it? Preacher, give me some advice. I will from James chapter 3 and verse 17. That's where I'm going. You and I need wisdom. Here's why. Look at it. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. So the wisdom that God gives is pure and it's peaceable. So if you're not peace-loving, you're not wise. Wisdom is gentle. So if you're easily irritated, 
You're not wise. It's open to reason. Wisdom is open to reason. When God gives you his wisdom, you automatically become open to wisdom, which means you're, if you're not unwilling to yield, you're not wise. Look at the next one. It's full of mercy. The wiser I become, the more patient and merciful I become. Number two, show pity by helping those in need around you. Did you know this church that there are hurting people all around us? All around us. You say, really? I, I, don't, I don't see them. Here's why. And here's why sometimes I don't. Because we're too busy. We are so busy going from here to here to here to here. The next phone call, the next email, the next test message, the next thing on the agenda. We go through life. We stand in elevators with old people, and we don't even talk to them. We're too busy. The elevator's too slow. Hurry up. That's life. We're just too busy. I'm too busy. Listen, if you care, you'll be aware. The bottom line is this. When we are too busy, we just don't care. But if you do care, you'll be aware. That's why Jesus told us the story of the Good Samaritan. The whole reason he told us was this very point about helping others around us. And he concludes the Good Samaritan story in, uh, in the book of Luke chapter 10, verse 36, when he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Which of the three, the priest, the Levite, who looked and walked around and didn't help, or the Good Samaritan? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, well, go and do likewise. Go show some pity to somebody. Go help somebody in need. You cannot love your neighbor as yourself without being merciful. And if you're being merciful, you're going to help those around you no matter who they are. And God's going to put people in your life to allow you to practice mercy. And they're going to have different needs. They're going to have emotional needs. They're going to have physical needs. And they're going to have financial needs. Thank you for showing mercy on 11 teenagers this week who didn't have the money to go to Teen Rev. We had 11 people write checks for $360 this week. I want to encourage you. Five of the six kids that got saved from our youth group, you paid for. You, you gave the money. Two were foster kids. Three have been going to our church, raised in a single-parent home by a mom who's been here three times and was reached through the Glow Up 501 event. It's incredible. When we make announcements about people who, unfortunately, maybe don't have the money, or, or, or we make announcements about somebody who's sick, or somebody who's hurting, or somebody who's in, who's in need, those are merciful announcements. Those are opportunities to show mercy. And if you have the means or the, the ability, it's a great opportunity. And by the way, don't do it without a good attitude. Because God is not just watching what you do. He's watching your attitude. And we see that in Romans chapter 12 in verse number 8 when he says this. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Amen? It's like not about dad gum. He's asking for money again. All right, how much you need? Keep your check. Put your pen back. It's okay. We don't need it that bad. If you can't do it with cheerfulness, God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. Acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Number three, pardon others 
and don't hold on to the past. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do to others. You know, when someone hurts us, usually we want to do one of two things. The first thing we want to do is get even. Get even. You know what? If I, I, I'm just, you did that to me. Well, guess what I'm going to do to you? Now, we only feel that way when it's somebody else. When it's us, we want mercy. But when it's someone else, we want to get even. We're better at receiving mercy than we are at giving mercy. Secondly, the second thing we do oftentimes is we just write somebody off. I'm done with them. Never going to talk to them again. No second chances. I'm I'm, I'm finished. We either want to get even or we want to write people off. And what we need to do is stop and remind ourselves, God, if you could be merciful to me, surely I can be merciful to some other person. What does mercy require of me? Number three, number four, practice doing good to those who harm you. Luke 6 and verse 35, but love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. There's the motivation. The reward is great. You'll be the sons of the Most High. There's the identity. We're we're, we're sons of God for for he's kind (coughs) to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Mercy is giving people what they need, not what they deserve. That's mercy, because that's what God's done for us. You see, if I got what I deserved, I wouldn't be standing here right now. I wouldn't be your pastor. In fact, if I got what I deserve, I wouldn't be alive. The people who you want to love the least are the ones who need it the most. Who's hurt you in your life the most? They might need your mercy. Finally, in closing, preach the gospel and point people to heaven. Point people to Jesus. Romans 11, for just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now you've received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too that have now been disobedient in order that by mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. Church family, when you preach the gospel, that's the most merciful thing you can possibly do for someone else. So I know what you're thinking. Okay, pastor, decent message. But I got one, one question. Can you go over the top with mercy? I mean, can you give too much mercy? Is there any way you can go overboard with mercy? Absolutely you can. Jesus did. It's called the cross. It's the most radical sign of mercy we've ever seen. With his arms stretched wide on a cross, his nail, his nails. His hands nailed to a cross and his feet nailed to a cross and a crown of thorns on his head. His side pierced, blood streaming down. He cries out, Father, forgive them. That's the most over-the-top example of mercy ever. 
So, Pastor, how then do I become a merciful person? The starting point is this. You must receive the mercy of God. You must receive God's mercy before you can show mercy to others. You must receive God's forgiveness before you can offer forgiveness to someone else. The starting point is to receive the mercy of God. The starting point is to receive the peace of God and the forgiveness of God. And then you can offer it to others. You must be born again. If you're here this morning, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. You've never truly been born again. Then this morning, I want to challenge you. I want to ask you. I want to just lovingly encourage you to step out during our invitation. Me and a couple of other elders will be up front. If you need to come forward and just settle that with God, we would be honored. And then those of you who are pursuing happiness, mercy makes you happy. Remember the opposite. To be unmerciful makes you unhappy. The most miserable people on this planet are unmerciful people. They refuse to give up a grudge. They hold on to their unforgiveness. They don't realize they're hurting themselves because being merciless makes you miserable. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to take out your little five key acts of mercy from your worship guide. I want to give you some homework. I want you to, I had a bunch of church members this morning leave the service and say, I already got mine filled out. It was easy. I wonder if this will be easy for you. First of all, the first assignment is this. Be patient with people's habits. I want you to do me a favor and write down the name of someone you need to be more patient with this week. Honey, you can put my name down. I got it. Number two, show pity by helping those in need around you. I want you to fill in this blank. Who is hurting around you that you can help this week? I, I, I've got so many names to put on that. I, I, it's going to be easy for me to take one. I, I'm, by the way, I met a lot of hurting teens this week in our group. Number three, pardon others and don't hold on to the past. Here's my challenge. Who do I need to give a second chance to? Put a name there. Number four, practice doing good to those who harm you. Put a name there. Who has hurt me that I can do something good for? And then finally, preach the gospel and point people to heaven. I want you to put a name of someone you're praying for who's lost. Just just put their name there. And church family, I want you to know this, that we've got a promise, and that promise is this. <laughs> Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And you know what that receiving mercy is? It's not a one-time thing. It's ongoing. It's ongoing. It's like Psalm 23 and verse 6 says. Look at it on the screen. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. We need his mercy. Oh, God, I need your mercy. And God says, then give it. Give it. Happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
church family, this is what makes you happy. Being a merciful person. I want you to pray this prayer with me as we've been doing every week. Let's stand, shall we? I've got it hopefully big enough on the screen to read it with me. Would you do that? This is our closing prayer together. Here we go. God, help me this week to offer mercy to others just as you've offered it to me. You've shown me mercy in the past, and I thank you for that. Lord, I'm going to need it in the future. Help me to be patient with those who are peculiar. Help me to be patient with things in my own family that really irritate me. I need to be merciful to that person because you're merciful with me. God, would you help me to be forgiving to those who've fallen? Lord, help me to help those who are hurting. Open my eyes to see the people who hurt and help me to do good to those who do wrong to me. Whether they criticize, harm, or mean something for evil, help me to be like Jesus. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.